I'm Lisa Bryant. I'm Leanne Gibbs. And I'm Liam McNicholas. And this is the Early Education Show. A fortnightly look at the policy, politics and practice of Australia's early education sector. The inaugural National Children's Commissioner, Megan Mitchell, has released her final report on children's rights in Australia. It's been described as a full and frank look at how Australia is faring on a range of areas related to children and young people, and makes over 80 recommendations to improve that record. This episode, Lisa, Leanne and I have a discussion about how the early education sector is engaging with issues of children's rights before we hear from an interview I conducted with Megan Mitchell on her report and her time as the first Children's Commissioner. Lisa and Leanne, it's been a while. How are you both going? Hello. It's been a very long time. We're back a bit later than usual. I wonder if anyone's missed us. I doubt it. But what I wonder more is if we remember how to do it. I, that literally what I texted to Leanne before while we were waiting for you to come online. I said, I think I've forgotten how to do this, Leanne. But as I said... Banter is an everyday food, so I think we'll get by. <laughs> I like that. That might be our new tagline. We might be in the market for a new tagline. <laughs> Banter and everyday food. There are people who listen to the podcast every day, apparently. I still keep hearing that people are going through the backlog. That's excellent. That's an intense amount of That's our voices. <laughs> yeah. It makes me worried for these people. I'm happy with that. That's great. That's that... great. I When I listen to podcasts, I like to go through the whole back catalogue. It's, you know, very interesting. That's true. All right. Well, a little bit of housekeeping before we start. I wanted to say that the Exploring the NQS uh, series that I started over a year ago for our Patreon supporters is pretty much wrapped up. I've got one more episode where I'm struggling. Yeah, well done, you, Liam. That's yeah. fantastic. Yeah, it was a fun You've little done an project. amazing job. It was a fun little project. No, well, it's great. What a great resource for people. Congratulations. Yeah. But um, if you head to patreon.com forward slash early edu show, so there's an episode on every individual element of the national quality standard as well as overview episodes for each quality area. So they'll still be there. You can sign up pretty easily and cheaply. And, yeah, I hope it's a pretty useful way for people to access. So I'm, I'm having a think about the sort of next iteration of the series because I want to keep doing a extra series. So uh, I guess this is a watch this space. This is a, a teaser. Has anyone given you much feedback on it, Liam? I've had a little bit of uh, good feedback. I think um, I think what's mostly what's mostly uh, people like, whether they specifically enjoy listening to me talk about this stuff, is I think this is a really sort of good and easy way for people to access some pretty, um, you know, to just some some PD that I think is just still so hard for people to access. I think we we talk about it in the podcast a lot. So you know, something is fifteen minutes once a week. You can quickly stick your headphones in. You can play it at a staff meeting. Um, yeah, I think just the ease of access has probably been the the main bit of feedback I've got. Hey, you know what you could do in this anniversary of the um, the UN Convention, or one of the anniversaries uh, on the rights of the child, you could go through every article and talk about that in the context of early childhood education. Leanne, that is literally on my list of possible things I might want to do. <laughs> You're reading my mind. Oh, well, there you go. That would be fantastic. Well, do you know what the mistake I made was? I suggested that the next one I could do was exploring the law and regulations, which seems like a great idea. But the trouble is, once you break it down, oh. a lot of them are just boring and administrative. So it's it's going to be hard to find an interesting way to cover each particular one. A lot of them are repetitive. So uh, that one may be on the back burner for a little while because I just think... Well, maybe, maybe what you could do is get, um, you know, some great orator to read out the guide to the National Policy. <laughs> well, it's one of Stephen Fry's very... Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> that's like 600 pages, right? So... I think that's a great idea. I might see a Stephen Fry's very... <laughs> Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's a wonderful idea. 
<laughs> so thanks for everyone who's uh, who signed up and enjoyed that series, um, as well as uh, you know, I hope being useful. Um, it's also meant that we've had you know a bit of cash in the Patreon account to pay for web hosting and train rides to social justice conferences to record the show. It actually uh, makes this uh, you know crazy podcast of us a little easier to do. Um, and, and microphones. I, I got a microphone in the mail the other day. <laughs> and Leanne's is on Very the way. I just got a tracking notification yes. today. You so that's talk. actually. So that's listeners. You have paid for this new technology to for for Lisa and Leanne to record high quality on the road interviews over the next little while. It's so a, thank you. Liam, it's, it's not actually so we can record them. It's just so that we can look like we're serious podcasters. I was just thinking people will run as soon as they see us, Lisa, with their little microphone in hand, the little recording device well, in hand. They look a bit like tasers, <laughs> so I think you might want to just be careful on flights. Will be my only my only suggestion. Hey, did you hear, to hear the other day that um, we've been joined in the podcasting world by someone new? More than one person, I think, Lisa. Who are you talking about? Barnaby Joyce. Oh, no. Ah, uh, <laughs> right, right. I think it might be a different audience. There might be some well, overlap, I, just, I guess. I, I don't know. I wonder if we need to start doing a TikTok version of the podcast. <laughs> what, what does that mean? I don't really even old. know what that is. What does that mean? <laughs> TikTok's a, a, a video, like you create, you know, um, 15 second videos. Oh my God. Okay. Well, everyone, this is the high quality podcasting you've been missing for the last few months is Lisa explaining new <laughs> forms of social media to Leanne and I. So we're back. <laughs> we're back. All right. Well, Lisa, well, I'm going to put you in charge of the TikTok version. Um, okay. and, and just let us know how we go. If we need any equipment for that, just obviously let me know. <laughs> um, so, yes, it's more in the NQS, but thank you to everyone who's enjoyed it. There'll be something coming new soon, but all the episodes are still there. Um, please join if you can. Um, the only other bit of housekeeping is we'll obviously be going to an interview. I was really fortunate to record with Megan Mitchell, the National Children's Commissioner, after um, Leanne, Lisa and I have had a bit of a chat. The only thing I wanted to raise was the quality is not fantastic. Which we had a huge amount of issues with the Skype connection, so we ended up doing it over the phone, uh, which just is never quite as good sounding. But uh, you know, Megan has so many great things to say that I think it will transcend the the uh, audio quality, which should be fine. Um, but we wanted to, just before we go to that interview, is have a bit of a chat amongst ourselves. Hey, it's been a while since I've been away. It would seem strange to put out our first episode of the year without the three of us getting on and having a chat, but um, it's kind of worked out well for timing. Leanne, I know you were at the recent Ajax Symposium where there was a pretty big um, you know, focus on children's rights. So do you want to tell us a bit about, I guess, just your, your time at the conference, then we might delve into some specific things that are happening in this area? Um, it was a fantastic conference. It was just purely a research conference. But what I loved about it was that there was sort of debate and dissenting dissenting uh, voices around important things like the UN Convention on the Rights of the Child. Now, while I don't think that we should be sort of putting that aside, I just like the idea that we can talk about those things and argue about the perspectives on those. So that was, um, I thought that was a, a, a wonderful a wonderful sort of um, opportunity to talk about all sorts of aspects of children's rights. But the presentations were around, had those, you know, that kind of theme around children's right to a competent and skilled workforce and children's right to an ethical voice in research. So there were a number of um, presentations that were around these sorts of themes, focusing on digital age, uh, all sorts of 
all sorts of things and looking at the latest research around um, those areas and also educator wellbeing too. So there were lots of um, amazing presentations and lots of discussion about how we are activists and researchers and how that looks like, um, what that looks like for children. So it was, a, it was a great conference, enjoyed every minute of it. She's becoming an academic clam. Yeah. <laughs> I know. Look. I know. I know. That she might want to talk with us soon because, yeah, you and I speak English and she just <laughs> want to speak academic. Uh, Lisa, I don't, hang on. Yeah. I have to listen back to these episodes as I edit them. I don't. I, the saying we speak English all the time might be a big, uh, might be a big, a big call. <laughs> big jump. That might be a big jump. So, Leanne, I'm kind of, I'm, I'm fascinated by that. So, were people contesting the UNCRC or saying it needed to be updated or it wasn't? Well, when... I think they were, they were talking about the, the 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 positioning of the convention and children as rights holders and, you know, thinking about what, what that looks like for all cultures and um, for children's responsibilities as well within that. And there was quite a lot of discussion around the, the responsibilities of children and how that's enabled Um and, you know, just the, the sorts of things, but the sorts of um, focus for research, like when we're researching, what, is that upholding children's rights or are we re- what sort of lens are we researching through? So I guess it's, it's really thinking in a broad way about what children's rights look like without trying to take a westernised view or, a, um, you, you know, or, or taking, I suppose, thinking about, advocacy on behalf all the time and, and talking more about children's agency as well. I mean, that was what I got from it, but it could be it could be very different for other people. But there was one keynote that I really want to mention. The, all the presentations were fantastic, but this was Justin Mohammed and Janine Mohammed. And Justin Mohammed is the uh, Commissioner for Children and Young People in Victoria, and Janine Mohammed is the director of the Lower Chair Institute. And they were talking about their experience of growing up um, as Aboriginal people within Australia, and it was a, a very powerful presentation. But the thing that I want to mention is that they were calling for support for a National Commissioner for Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander Children and Young People, because this is what will actually ensure that there's a voice and a view on behalf of Aboriginal children and young people. Oh, that's great. I think that's been um, that's been a, a really powerful advocacy call for the last little while. I should say for listeners of the podcast, um, late last year, we put out a bonus episode, which was an interview with the uh, CEO of Snake, Richard Weston, which was um, which was at the time of the launch, I think, of mm. um, Snake and uh, Family. So it's great to see that that's that calls, you know, sort of continuing to reverberate in the sector. Yeah, and their 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 advice was to use that um, that position of Snake and use that call that the, and and I think it's on Snake's website is to use that and to um, use our advocacy to call for that. So, you know, insert insert ourselves into that particular framework of advocacy there. Wonderful. Well, I think, you know, that's probably a great springboard, Leanne, to talk about. I don't think we want to necessarily go too deep into the report, but because um, I'll be sort of doing that uh, with 
with uh, the commissioner herself in the interview after this. But uh, obviously the report, uh, not that I'm suggesting this was homework that everyone had to do, but um, there are some really interesting recommendations um, in there. One of them was, I know, I think something we we talked about, I wish I could remember the episode from last year. We've now done, done so many of these episodes, it's hard to remember which ones we were talking in. But one of the big calls in the report was the sort of the was highlighting the lack of a real national plan for children, and particularly young children, and the, the need for a, a, a ministerial position that was focused on children that could coordinate particular policies across government. So obviously, it's a very political podcast and one focused on um, advocacy. I guess you know, I probably got you know maybe a couple of questions. Maybe I don't know if I could divide this into to one for each of you. I think we just tend to chuck it out and see who answers first. Um, I guess one. Have we got have we got buzzers? For I don't. We should have. That might be good, wouldn't it? The trouble is, Lisa would need two because she'd always have two things. But that's um, true. so I guess the one is: are we are we thinking that's likely under the current government? And then second, you know, I guess is that a is that you know something? Hang on, that, that's not a question. That's Liam. A, well, that, at least that one can be answered quickly, and then we can move on to the more interesting question: is um, you know, why? why I'm assuming we do think it's a good idea, which I, I think I put myself in that camp. Why? Why would that be important? Maybe for, particularly for people who aren't that familiar with who are nerds like us and don't have a, a keen interest in the way governments work why would having you know someone in that position sort of a national minister for children why would that be uh you know so important do you want to go first who's Lisa? buzzing in no i'll let you um well i just think that if there is a minister for children and this sort of nationwide children's rights framework that everything then is seen through that lens of of children's experience and you know it comes back to that question that we're always talking about who's advantaged and who's disadvantaged by decisions and this this gives the opportunity to say okay what does this actually mean for children so to me that would be the number one job for that person and why it would be valuable um but of course you know the position of children who decides that who decides what's good for children and i would probably hate to see a a politician deciding that <laughs> that, well, would, that would be hmm. we need I to yeah. i honestly just can't even imagine them even thinking like our current government has got so little interest in any policies around anything children just like nobody's ever gonna want to do it about children well the other oh. issue for me would be that i think given the, the track record of the appointments of people into these kind of positions lest we forget that tony abbott was once the minister for women um god knows who they would put in as children oh, for the, minister the, for children um, the yeah, okay, I was going to suggest someone, but I'd better not. <laughs> but I guess the best, the best possible world would be a minister who works in, in, in collab- well, not collaboration, but in harmony with independent children and, and young people commissioners across Australia. So that, that would be ideal. But just having the presence of that, of that uh, you know, person who's focused on children would, I think it would give a great message because, you know, wherever we change government departments' names to take away the central focus of what they should be, we lose the meaning of that portfolio. So to have a to have that, but I, I agree, I don't think it's going to happen, Not certainly not in the near future, but 
wouldn't it be great? I think it would be great. I think it's easy for Lisa and I to be cynical and laugh, but I think we should come back to the yes, point which is it's a good I'm thing. I'm back to my optimistic self. So, you know, like... I'm feeling more comfortable with the podcast now we're back into it. But I think yes. So putting aside our cynical laughter, I think, you know, there there are a range of reasons for me why that would be really useful. It was interesting and in, we, we touch on this briefly in the interview. So there is actually some requirement at the moment for governments to ensure that legislation that goes uh, through the uh, the House of Representatives and then the Senate is actually looked at from a human rights perspective. So the obligations. Did you, Liam, did you ever read that part of the Jobs for Families package? I did. Can you remind me, Liz? But I think it said something like this is good for children's rights because it means Absolutely. their parents are at work or something. Yeah, something like that. Yeah. It was just, you know, yeah. like it's it's one of those things that is there and they're supposed to do it and some Paul bureaucrat has delegated the position of writing, you know, out how it it fits into that, and it's just lip service. You know? it's yeah, yeah. Not- but I think I mean because the thing is, different governments will come and go, so governments are different persuasion. But the fact that that requirement is in there means that at least, even if it's lip service at the moment with this current government, it might not be with a future one, or even if it's not being taken seriously at the moment, it is at least a process that people have to go through. But one of the things that Megan Mitchell was there talks about in the interview, um, I'm spoiling my own interviews now, which is you know bad, got to be bad yeah, podcasting yeah, practice. Yeah, but, okay. but 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 yeah. what they were saying is the lack of resourcing for that position. So I think what yeah, for, yeah. sorry for that for that process that there's legislative, there's sort of human rights scrutiny. But what I think, one of the things that sort of makes me a positive a bit, I think, even with the current government, is that, you know, we've had a, a range of recent things like ROGS, uh, the Closing the Gap Report, which just has, have pointed to these systemic failures to improve things, particularly for Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander children. But even in issues like mental health and youth suicide, we're seeing things really go poorly for children. We do have an assistant minister for children and families, so there is a junior ministry position there. I do think there's a... there's Who, a, who is that? Uh, it is... Um, who can uh, who can banter quietly themselves while I Google <laughs> and pretend it's in my head? Now, is it I'll, Michael Sukar? Um, assistant minister for... I'll just I'll just have a, a brief sort of um, point about the the convention. You know, the convention isn't embedded into law, and that's one of the things that the report calls for. And so I think that that would be a great um, a, a great advocacy focus for early childhood peeps is to talk about that convention being, you know, laws and. Um, and practice uh, conforming with the convention. Absolutely. So, so the current assistant minister for children and families is Michelle Landry. So uh, had to Google that. Unfortunately, that was not in my head. But so there is an option there, I think, to say, you know, there is a focus on the experience of children, I think, even in the current government. So I mean, they may not be doing everything we want, but I think there's some evidence to say that, uh, well, at least that we know that the things we're doing for children uh, particularly, I think young people. I think the the, the, dip, the the challenge of getting the focus on the under fives is always a huge issue. I think for mm-hmm. for for all, and, and, I, and I will say, I think that's uh, you know for governments of both kinds, um, it, it is it's very hard. I think for for governments to justify, I think to the public sometimes, you know, the discussions around. Uh, under fires, but what but what these processes mean is there is at least from an advocacy's perspective, there's ways for early education professionals to get involved, including contacting Michelle Landry as the assistant minister for children and families if there's particular issues. But um, yeah, exactly as Leanne said, you know, advocating for the enshrinement of the United Nations Convention on the Rights of the Child in law, and then particularly you know as another advocacy 
ask, amongst all the things we ask uh, elicitors to get involved in, um, Australia hasn't ratified the third optional protocol on the United Nations Convention on the Rights of the Child. So these optional protocols are additional sort well, of bolt-ons. What's that about? Yeah, so these, this is about the ability of children to raise uh, particular concerns they have with the United Nations themselves. Uh, so this idea that um, children then have a capacity uh, through you know, the, the state they live in to actually raise a specific concern with the UN. So Australia has said that we won't be signing up for that, which is, I think, sad uh, because, you know, any, any opportunity we can have to give children a voice is um, important. And I guess the question becomes if we know why Australia... So I think the Australian government's official position is, you know, there are processes within the country to do that. Um, it does make me wonder, given the experience of some children, you know, particularly maybe Indigenous children or, or, or children seeking asylum, that there may be other reasons that they don't want, you know, children's voices being heard at the UN. Yeah, um, and it, the thing about children's voices as well, you mentioned the resourcing for the office of the, um, I'm assuming, the children, the Commissioner for, the, for Children and Young People, because I know that Megan Mitchell does a lot of, consultation with children for that contributes to the report but I I do have a bit of an issue with not much consultation with very young children and I think that that's obviously a resourcing I'm, I'm gathering it's a resourcing issue because it is it is um, probably more resource heavy to consult with very young children or to um, understand um, how we can do that best as well so that's something that I think would be wonderful in the future is to have more consultation with very young children. And that's another thing that I think early childhood um, educators can become involved in is, is pushing forward that idea that that's possible. Absolutely. And maybe the sector getting on the front foot about ways to support um, you know, the National Children's Commissioner as well as state and territory-based commissioners to um, to you know, demonstrate our knowledge about how we consult with children and ways that children's voices um, could be heard either directly or with a we could amplify children's voices. I'm not going to spoil the interview because, Leanne, I, do, um, I don't raise that specific point, but I raise a really interesting point I saw in the report about the lack of resourcing for this particular thing within the, yeah. um, within the office. So, I'll, uh, yes, that, that point is definitely raised. But yeah, I think that's a fantastic area where the sector could go, you know what, we're experts on this. Let's help you out. Ooh. Yeah, that would be wonderful. I'd be very excited Liz, to see that. Can I ask if we know who the next commissioner is going to be? No, we don't. So I was slightly worried that because uh, the it, Megan Mitchell's term uh, is due to run out, I think, the, towards the end of March. I was slightly worried we hadn't heard anything, but I did actually check in with that very question in the interview, and she said that, uh, that there, there will be another commissioner, and I think the process is still underway at the moment to, to see who that will be. And did you, did you say that we were sad to see her go? Or am I preempting the interview? <laughs> you're you're preempting slightly, but yeah, but absolutely. And I think, you know, it, we. I think I mentioned this briefly in the interview, but I think it's you know important to say that this was a really uh, important position that was put in uh, by uh, the previous Labor government. We should say in in 2013. So one of the one of the last acts of that government, we should say, which was the creation of the first National Children's Commissioner. I think Megan uh, Mitchell has you know done a great job. It's particularly. 
I think, you know, politically, these positions, I think, can be really challenging because it's the first time this role is here. So there and to start, I think, under a, you know, a sort of um, a left leaning government and then spend most of, you know, almost 100% of your time under a conservative government, I think there would be a lot of pressure around ensuring that the role uh, continues. So, you know, being um, balanced in your perspectives around how you view particular things. But, you know, I've got to say, having read this final report, it is it sort of doesn't really hold any punches. It really highlights a number of areas that, yes, Australia is doing well, but a lot of areas where, you know, just stubbornly things do not seem to be changing. And we talk about a few of those uh, in the interview. But um, I will be fascinated to see who the next one will be. Mm, indeed. And uh, did um, Megan give the full the full sort of uh, thrust of her influence for this particular report so that she could really finish the job well. I think I think that's very possible. Now, you, now neither of you two are holding out on me and neither of you two have been appointed, have you, as commissioner, as the National Children's Commission? <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, I... You still have to do the podcast, I'm sorry. I've obviously asked if it can be a job share between the three of us. It's <laughs> <laughs> a great idea. Oh, that's very kind of you, Leanne. <laughs> That would be very cool. I think we'd do a great job. Absolutely. Oh, I think I'd do a terrible job, an absolute terrible job. I follow what Megan does quite strongly and I see her go to the most boring places and have to sit through the most boring things. Well, we could put you in charge of writing the report because it would only have two parts. (laughs) (laughs) We can give you some training on diplomacy, Lisa. I'm sure we can we can do that with you. <laughs> All right. Well, I think that might wrap up our uh, pre-interview sort of chat section. So, Lisa Leanne, lovely to speak with you once again. I'm looking forward to doing this every fortnight again. It's been too long since we've been since we've been doing this. It, it has. It's great to be back. Thanks, Liam. So hang you've in there. You've got us all sorted and organised. We're so lucky, aren't we, Lisa? Yeah, lazy. Not. Did you say lazy or lucky? <laughs> Probably both. <laughs> Absolutely not. I'm looking forward to hearing the first recordings on your brand new microphones. But stay with us. We'll have a quick uh, sort of musical break, and I'll be back with my uh, again slightly not the best audio quality, but still a pretty good interview. I think with Megan Mitchell, the outgoing National Children's Commissioner. So, uh, Megan, thank you so much for joining the Early Education Show. We really appreciate you speaking with us about, um, well, the the amazing new report you put out as well as your time as um, Commissioner. Do we want to start by just, I guess, telling us um, the background of this uh, particular report, so in their own right, a look at children's rights in Australia? What's the, what's the background of this report? Well, this report is um, really the culmination of seven years of work as uh, Children's Commissioner. It's my sixth uh, report to the Federal Parliament um, and it was tabled a week or so ago in Federal Parliament. Um, and what it does, I hope, is provide as comprehensive a picture as I've been able to build of the state of children's rights in Australia and of the well-being of children. So it looks at a child well-being against all the domains of the Children's Rights Convention, which is the convention that has guided 
my work uh, along the journey of children's commissioner. I think um, yeah, comprehensive is is the word. I'm I'm still going through it at the moment. We've um, we've got a few copies around the office, but it is it is really comprehensive. One of the things I wanted to sort of talk about um, before we maybe get into some of the details of the report is a lot of the um, the. Uh, the sort of media around it or some of the, the stuff that was leading up to it described it as, you know, really frank and fearless look at children's rights. Was that something that was kind of important to you as this, it's sort of your last report? Yeah, look, I really wanted to make sure we didn't put our head in the sand about... We weren't putting our head in the sand about how well we're doing or we're not doing. So I really wanted to show... Well, where we're doing okay and uh, we're making progress, but I really want to shine a light on where we're really failing our children, where things are getting worse for our children or at least not improving. And so in that sense, it is a bit of a warts and all uh, look at children's rights in Australia. And I think that's you know one of the interesting things if we look at the the summary of the report to start off with, it is acknowledging that you know there, are, there have been some successes in Australia, but there have been... Um, one of the things that's really stood out to me on reading um, all of your reports uh, and, and thinking about children's rights prior to that as well is that um, there are things Australia does really well, but the things that we struggle with seem to be kind of stuck a bit. So we seem to be talking about the same sort of issues um, for, for the, the ones we're not doing so well on. They seem to be the same things we're talking about over and over again. Is that something you've sort of, that, that's something you've noticed as well? Absolutely, and and for me, you know, this is why I'm calling for a national plan uh, for child wellbeing because I think unless we look at these things together, um, we end up doing things in a very piecemeal way, policy-wise, and that's not what children's lives are are like. Um, They experience health issues, they experience educational issues, they experience... um, violence and abuse against them um, as a whole and so we really need to look at those things as a whole and how we can address them and I guess some of the key, the, you know, the stark kind of call to arms is around things like the level of abuse and neglected children which just seems to be going up and, you know, related to that is more and more kids being um, streamed into the out of home care system and we know that that doesn't yield great results for those kids and it's also incredibly expensive um, for the community. Uh, what we really need to be doing is working with the fa- struggling families to keep kids safe uh, so that they have a really great start in life. And the other area I think that the report very much highlights is the state of children's mental health, um, which, you know, Suicide is the leading cause of death um, for children um, in Australia up to 18 and um, and that's one child every week taking their own lives and really we need to shift that um, and give children hope, help them uh, to reduce the risk factors in their life and in fact encourage help seeking. Um, and the other issue with that is, you know, there are 13 admissions to hospital every day, or 10, sorry, 10 admissions to hospital every day for self-harming. Uh, I think that tells us that we're really missing something here about the levels of anxiety in our children. Yeah, the information in there around, yeah, particularly youth mental health was quite shocking, I think, and, and 
probably particularly the 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 frank the frank and fearless approach to the report those things were really quite um distressing to read and and clearly something's not going right my my next question was going to be sort of what are the most urgent priorities i think you've listed some there but i think the other the other big thing i spotted from this report um commissioner and and from previous reports is you know the experience of aboriginal and torres strait islander children are you able to sort of talk about in your maybe in this report and maybe in your time as commissioner what's what's emerged from from in that in that particular um you know part of our community yeah, look, um, I mean, I think it's well known that Aboriginal children suffer much greater levels of disadvantage uh, than their non-Indigenous peers. And we know that they're overrepresented in the criminal justice system, uh, in the care and protection system, um, and that they don't um, achieve the same levels of educational attainment uh, as their peers as well. So... Um, Having said that, you know, in my time at Commissioner, I've met lots of young Aboriginal people and they are incredibly aspirational for themselves um, uh, and their peers and there are lots of good examples of fabulous young leaders coming through. So I don't want to paint it all doom and gloom, but we come from a pretty challenging situation in terms of what the statistics tell us. Absolutely, and, and unfortunately not something that's improved during your time as Commissioner? No, although there are some areas where we are doing better for Indigenous kids, um, for instance, in terms of uh, uh, infant mortality, um, low birth weight, some basic health indicators are actually on the, the improve, uh, but in so many areas we continue to fail Aboriginal children. So obviously we've talked a little bit there about, about some of the urgent priorities that you've identified in the report. Um, what would be, if you had to pull out sort of one, you know, success that's been identified in the report, um, what what are you, you know, particularly sort of impressed that Australia's done in regards to children's rights? I think there are a number of um, areas where we've um, done okay. I think the Royal Commission into Institutional Responses to Child Sexual Abuse um, has had and continues to have an impact on how organisations see and value children and their rights. So I really do think that was a really important inquiry and actually has ongoing implications uh, for the way we honour children and see them and give them a voice. And I think that's influenced many sectors as well uh, to improve their safeguarding capacity um, including the early childhood sector, um, and I have seen that, and that uh, you know, and and certainly I've worked with the um, Early Childhood Australia and others to draw the link between child safeguarding and child rights. And actually, your I know you and your office were actually involved in the development of the Child Safe Principles for um, organisations. Yeah. Are- um- Indeed, um, and you know I've been really privileged to the last over the last few years, being uh, leading the development of the national principles for child safe organisations, and also a number of tools and resources to help organisations implement these in practice. Because I think even if there's a lot of goodwill out there, if people don't know what to do um, uh, and how to change things and how to 
review how you're doing things and then go, okay, we can shift this in a way that actually is much more child-focused, child-rights-focused, uh, and, and that's what we've tried to do. We wanted national principles so it doesn't matter where you are in Australia. You can pick them up and go, okay, these are this is the source of, you know, truth here. It's come out of the Royal Commission. It's been heavily consulted around the country. So they're national principles that apply anywhere in Australia to any organisation. And associated with this, we've got a whole lot of guidances and training materials, including online training modules against each of the principles. So that's been a fabulous work to lead. There's a lot of goodwill in the community and uh, agencies, peak bodies and, and service providers have worked really closely with us on that. Yeah, well, I should pass on my, my, my personal thank. Those webinars are fantastic. And I think one of the things that they're uh, not just that, those resources, but the work that's been done in that space has been um, almost as a kind of destigmatization of even just the discussion of these things. I think for a lot of organizations, even just the idea of discussing, even if they're um, obviously against, you know, children being harmed in their organizations, I think it's difficult for, for people sometimes to sit down and talk about what can be really confronting topics. But the, the idea of a national approach and with resources that support all organizations, I think will make a really huge difference. Yeah, look, I think that's right. Um, having those conversations is the first step. Saying this is a real thing, it has happened, it does happen and it will happen. And that's not to say, I mean, I've, part of it is a focus on, you know, sexual abuse and grooming, but really we should be looking at, you know, all harms that can happen to children that can impede their healthy development. Um, and for some, you know, it's very physical kind of, uh, security is just as important to kids and um, you know, I think we really need to and the only way we know what they're worried about is to talk to them because uh, they're the, the source of information about what concerns them and about what worries them and if, if we can work out ways to promote children's voice in the way we do our work and the way we operate our businesses uh, then we will have a much safer environment for every child. What's a wonderful goal. Well, um, and you, you sort of mentioned the early education sector before, and obviously that's a bit of a bias for, for me and the and listeners to the show, but it was really um, great to see early education referred to in your report and particularly um, your recommendation for ongoing support of the National Quality Framework, as well as ta- tackling some of the access issues that children face. So I know this is um, a bit of a small part of your overall uh, work, but um, have you, you know, in terms of thinking about the most recent report, was it um, what have you sort of, what, what have you and your office sort of spent time thinking about in terms of, you know, particularly for me, access to early education has been a real um, challenging advocacy issue because while I believe there is a right to access early education, the UNCRC isn't as specific around, you know, the under five age space. Yeah, um, and you know, and that's because the Child Rights Convention has been ratified by virtually every country in the world and they're all at different stages. You know, um, and so, I mean, in some countries they struggle even to give kids primary school education. Uh, so, you know, but as a wealthy country, I think we can look at the obligations under the Child Rights Convention and extend them to all children of all ages. And another really important safeguarding and developmental opportunity is early education. Um, but for me, this is like a fundamental aspect. It's also a fundamental part, I believe, of reversing um, those trends I was talking about earlier. 
um, to provide better support and care for their children. So for me, it's not just about getting a great education and a great start for the kids so that they're school ready, but it's also about the families as well. And we know from the, um, the early development census that, you know, over just over 20% of children are, are developmentally um, vulnerable um, on more, one or more domains. And we know that children living in the most socioeconomically disadvantaged area were twice as likely um, as those from the least disadvantaged areas to be developmentally vulnerable. So if people are starting from um, a, a base where they're struggling financially and um, economically, those children are going to be affected and they're, not go and they're going to need additional um, help to get them up to the space where their peers are in terms of their education and development. We also know the same thing. We also know that children from remote and rural areas have more difficulties. And of course, as we were talking before, Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander children um, are twice as likely as their non-Indigenous peers to be developmentally vulnerable. This is where early childhood education can play a major role in, in getting those children to the same starting line as other kids. Wonderful. You won't have it, hear any argument from, from me or the, the show about the importance of early education. I think for, for listeners out there who you know, are involved in early education and involved in advocacy for children's rights, the, um, the, the report has some really great recommendations for how Australia could do better in those areas. So, um, Commissioner, thinking about, so obviously, you know, approaching the end of your time in the role, and, and fortunately for us, you know, you, you had an extension on your time, so I think six years uh, is, has, been a, has been a great run. We're obviously really sorry to see you go, but thinking back over seven, that... Yeah. <laughs> thinking back over that... Seven. Oh, seven. Sorry. Well, wow, even better. That's great. Um, th thinking back over that time, and, and particularly as the inaugural commissioner, so the very first one to work at that national level... Um, I guess it's it's a hard question, but you know how would you how would you summarise that time? Or looking back, you know what 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 are your overall thoughts on being the a, a the first person in that role, and and I guess what you've discovered, learned, um, what surprised you over that time? Look, it's just been such an honour and a privilege. It's such a unique job, and when I came into it, the, it was as long as a piece of string as you can imagine. Children's <laughs> lives are, you know. As big as you know, everybody else's lives, and they've got all sorts of aspects to them, and so you know, it was quite a lot of pressure to get it right in terms of, well, what do you do? What do you focus on? And um, and that's why I spent the you know a large part of the first year talking to advocates um, uh, like you know like in the early childhood sector, but also talking directly to children themselves, and that has been such an honour being able to do that and they are incredibly bright, full of ideas, full of aspirations and hopes and dreams and that's very inspiring for someone like me and they help me along with the advocates and the, those who work for and with kids set an agenda and and I've really st stuck to that agenda um, throughout uh, and what I've, wanted, what I've done within that is think about where... Um, where we're missing information uh, or we're not highlighting issues for kids enough and building an evidence base. So this is really, as a first-term um, 
commissioner, an, an inaugural one, I really wanted to build an evidence base that actually pointed out where children are doing okay and where they're not doing okay and where we need to act further. So that was really my intention. Um, I, I, so, and while there have been some good things that happened um, in, the, in the space, lots of some policy developments like the National Framework for Protecting Australia's Children, that's been there, but it's been very much, unfortunately, focused on after everything's gone wrong hmm. as opposed to an early intervention agenda, which is where we really need to go, I believe, into the future. So hopefully there's a, there's a lot of rich data in the report and information in the report that will help us build a meaningful um, strategy for children in this country um, that actually um, is um, focused on children realising their rights in the way that we promised them. And I just would like to also say um, to thank all the children and young people that have spoken to me and connected with me over the years. And I, just before, um, in last year, I was able to conduct a survey with um, uh, behind the ABC Behind the News um, and uh, just under 23,000 children responded to that survey which wow. I think says something about how much they want to be involved and <laughs> have a say and I asked them because I was about to report to the UN of how we were going which has been part of the cycle of um, that's happened in my in my term it only happens every five or six years so it was a really important opportunity to raise issues for kids on the international stage as well and see how we compare to other countries, which the report does as well. Wherever we can find comparable data, we've sort of said, well, how are we compared to other countries, similar countries? But in going to the UN, I wanted to make sure kids' voices were in there and that's why we did the survey. And I asked them to rank their top rights for, for me and the, the number one one was to be safe, and I think that's even shifted in the time that I've been in the role, that they really have a need to feel and be safe. And sometimes that's not about physical safety, it's about being included and it's about having a sense of belonging. So safety is a very broad concept for kids. Uh, I think we've got to be aware of their need for safety. Um, their second highest ranked right was um, um, to be cared for and have a home and of course they're very worried about kids who, for, for whom that's not true uh, and their third uh, top right was to have a clean environment and mm. I think we're starting to hear very loudly that <laughs> kids are really worried about that and you've got to think too well how is that linked how are these three things that they value so much linked to the state of their anxiety and mental health. So we really got to focus on those things. But the things they said were least true for them um, was um, to have access um, to accurate information um, and to be treated fairly and um, to have a say. So we've also got to really work on those things where they think uh, their rights are not being uh, realised. There's a pretty amazing blueprint that's just come directly from from children there. So in terms of the the three focuses and the three things, they're not absolutely. Out. Yeah. Um, what <laughs> what may well what that, that's a great segue because what kind of surprised me, and I know I've read this before, but I think I'm shocked every time I read it, is that consulting with children wasn't part of your original 
sort of resourcing or, or budget or part of your commission and you've sort of done that despite you know having what I know is a really small you know team and a really small amount of budget that's obviously been really really important to you well absolutely and uh, article 12 of the convention as you would know and many of your listeners would know is um, the right to participate in decisions that impact on you and that is a really fundamental right to children it's it's empowering for them, it helps build their capacity and confidence. And it's also, if we realise this right, we'll also get really good information from kids about what works for them. Uh, so uh, they really need to be the focus of um, attention when we're, and their views as well, uh, when we're designing programs and policies and even laws. So, And that's not the case at the moment. Or, uh, it, it's um, We only really reference kids' uh, views. Um, if the, those involved have a mind to, there's no requirement to. Uh, but I think, you know, we, nearly get, we need to get to a situation where this is routine. It's, it's routine in policy development and lawmaking and it should be routine in the way you run an organisation if it involves kids. Absolutely. Well, obviously, um, so your your time as a commissioner will be wrapping up soon. So, if you had, you know, some advice or some or maybe some hopes for the next person in the role, um, which I don't think has been announced, but I'm assuming that hopefully the government will make an appointment to fill that position. And assuming they do, um, you know what you know what would you what would you you know what would be your hopes for that person or any advice you'd give for them? can be assured there will be uh, a second commissioner and that's a great thing. Um, look, my, I really hope this report will help them um, as a benchmark for where we're at so that in you know five or six years when we're reporting back to the United Nations again, we can see much more clearly what progress we've made. Uh, and, and it's also, I will hope, helps them to set an agenda as well. Um, because I do think it highlights where we're not doing so well for kids and where we really need to be ramping up our efforts. So hopefully the report will be very helpful for the next uh, commissioner in terms of information because when I came into the role, it was just such a mishmash of information, <laughs> much but missing, that you couldn't really build a picture of child wellbeing and certainly not against the domains of the CRC. And for some kids... The story wasn't told at all and probably still hasn't been told properly, like kids with disabilities, you know, who, who can be almost invisible uh, in the data that, um, that, I can, um, that I've been able to source. So we really need to keep building that picture of what's happening for our kids in really intersectional ways. Uh, so that would be one of the pieces of advice, you know, keep building the picture so that we know where... Um, to target our interventions and to target our efforts. So that would be one piece of advice. And the other is to listen to kids. They're fabulous. Um, No matter what their background is, they are full of hope um, and and dreams and great ideas. uh, And that keeps you strong inside too. So (laughs) if a a politician or a decision maker wants to tell you this is the way, this is the way we think we're going to go and you've got it from the source, from kids, that that's not the way they want to go, you can then, you can use that information um, to help change, change directions of governments. 
Wonderful. Well, Megan, I feel like we've only really scratched the surface of, you know, the, the breadth of children's rights and, and even your report, but I'm very grateful for you to spending a bit of time talking to the Early Education Show. Uh, no problem, Liam, and thank you for uh, your work in this area too. You have been listening to the Early Education Show. You can find show notes and links for this episode and all our other episodes at earlyeducationshow.com. The show is hosted by Lisa Bryant, Leanne Gibbs and Liam McNicholas and produced by Liam McNicholas. The music is by Jarzar at betterwithmusic.com. Please subscribe, rate and review the show in the Apple Podcast Store. It really helps others find the show. Get in touch with us at Early Edu Show on Facebook and Twitter or send us an email at earlyedushow at gmail.com. See you next time.